This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are on the planet. My guest today is Kurt Stockbro, the CEO of Sparrow Quantum. Kurt is the CEO and a major investor in Sparrow Quantum, which is a rising quantum photonics technology company based in Copenhagen. He's been an investor and advisor to various high-tech companies, including Molecular Quantum Solutions, Sci Photonic IC, and Dahl Energy. Kurt is an internationally recognized researcher and serial entrepreneur. He's authored over 90 papers in international peer-reviewed journals with more than 13,000 citations. His company, Sparrow Quantum, is a quantum technology company committed to pushing the boundaries of light-matter interfaces for quantum applications. The company was founded in 2016 by Professor Peter Lodal and is widely recognized as a leader in single-photon sources, achieving the world's highest light-matter coupling efficiency. Sparrow currently offers two flagship products in the field of single-photon sources, a first-generation free space option and a second-generation fiber-coupled solution, available as both a standalone unit and a plug-and-play system, which means it's delivered in a 19-inch rack, including the source, laser, cryosat, etc., meaning it's ready for immediate use. Sparrow's technology finds applicability in many areas, including secure quantum communication, photonic quantum computing, and quantum repeaters for the quantum internet. So welcome, Kurt, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm delighted you're here. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their personal quantum journey. And my objective is twofold, to give our audience a sense of what you did before you joined Sparrow Quantum, but also to orient our listeners more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So please share with our listeners a little bit about your background and your path so far, maybe where you grew up and where you went to school, what you studied, and any insight into companies or organizations where you worked or did research. Yes, uh, thank you, Christopher. So, yeah, about my journey, I, I come from a small town in Denmark. Uh, my father is a photographer and uh, mother is a nurse. So, But somehow I got very interested in science, in um, electronics, in um, computing. Um, at that time, you didn't have uh, the personal computer, so I had to take the bus to the nearest town, and there I could get access to a large mainframe and um, program in BASIC, and then I could save the program on a punt tape, which I could take with me home to install the next time I could uh, get access to this computer. So in high school, I had a very good physics teacher, and I got uh, kind of interested in physics. So when I went to university, I decided to study both computer science and physics. There, I also got introduced to quantum mechanics. Uh, was a teacher, Pablo. Uh, actually, he was a co-worker of Niels Bohr. And uh, he had some really beautiful lectures. We also learned the historical perspective of quantum mechanics, starting with Bohr's papers, Sommerfeld theory, and then Schrodinger equations. So I decided to move on with uh, quantum mechanics, went to the Niels Bohr Institute, and actually there I had uh, advanced quantum mechanics lectures by Owe Bohr, the son of Niels Bohr. Wow. 
kind of my passion was physics and uh, computer science. So for my PhD, I um, went to the technical university and um, studied um, how uh, you can do computational um, uh, quantum mechanics. So so this was uh, uh, applying ab initio methods to understand solid state systems. And I kind of uh, went along uh, this road. It was a postdoc, came back, uh, got a permanent position at the Technical University. And uh, that was in the 90s. And uh, there, nanotechnology was the, the hot thing. What I decided to do in my research group was to study what was called molecular electronics and uh, try to see could we... Uh, develop ab initio methods where you could calculate the electrical properties of uh, molecules. And uh, we managed to uh, find a way where you can use density functional theory to calculate electrical properties of a molecule without any empirical uh, parameters. And uh, we published it in PRB, and uh, actually it was a quite similar paper. Um, it was elected a few years ago as a uh, one of the 50 most important papers uh, published uh, in PRB in the past 50 years. And I, I mean, that is among 200,000 uh, papers published in PRB and uh, other papers elected as a uh, Nobel Prize winning paper. So, so I was quite proud of that. Yeah, so, but it was clear at that point we had something unique and there was a lot of interest getting access to, to the software. So the kind of usual route uh, for physicists um, at that time was to make it open source software. However, I saw it, it could have some applications within the semiconductor industry because transistors were going down in scale. So I decided to take a uh, different route and start a commercial company developing uh, this software. So what company was that? So that was Atomistic. So that was my first company. Um, I, I didn't work full-time. Uh, I still kept a part-time position at the university. Um, then um, my student uh, went in uh, and worked full-time. And also we had a businessman uh, that became the CEO. And um, he was really good at attracting funding. So we attract a lot of uh, funds to the company and we grew quite rapidly. So, I mean, at that time, uh, Nano was what Quantum is today. It was really hot, and a lot wanted to get in there. Right. So I, I know you've been involved in numerous high-tech startups, both as an executive and an investor. But so what, what led you to become Sparrow CEO? I mean, I read actually a post you put on LinkedIn, um, very passionate about leaving the position you were in to kind of take on this role. What was it about Sparrow that uh, enticed you to become CEO? So, I mean, um, eventually um, Atomistics became uh, quantum-wise and I uh, sold it to Synopsys, uh, worked there for a few years, and then I decided to, to leave Synopsys and start uh, investing. And uh, there I kind of came upon Sparrow. Um, I thought, uh, okay, I mean, this is a really interesting company with an interesting uh, technology. Um it's not directly my field, so. Uh, but um, I decided to invest and uh, be uh, uh, part of um, the owners of, of the company. So in the beginning, I was on the sideline trying to learn a little about the technology, uh, reading papers, uh, reading books, and so on. 
and um, got involved uh, at the board level. So then two years ago, Sparrow started to to get momentum and uh, there was a need for some more experienced uh, management and Peter Lodal, the founder, asked me if I would uh, like to, to move in and uh, be a full-time CEO in the company. So so I had to think a little about it, but I mean, I don't know anything more fun than, than uh, doing startups. So yeah, so, so I decided to go back and uh, uh, into a full-time position. Oh, terrific. Well, thank you for sharing that story. In preparing for our podcast, I read that Sparrow Quantum's technology results from two decades of research by Professor Peter Lodal and his quantum photonics research group at the Niels Bohr Institute in Copenhagen. And he and his team were the first to demonstrate control over quantum dot emission back in 2004. So I want to get into more detail with you about the chip design. How does it leverage ultra-precise quantum dot structures, which makes it quite unique. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, when I invest, I look into the companies. Do they have some unique technology? Um, do they have something where which customers cannot find anywhere else? I call it the diamond. I mean, is there a diamond? Maybe it's an uncut diamond, but is there a diamond in, in this company? And it was clear for me from the beginning that here there was some unique technology where... Peter was uh, world leading. Um, maybe it was not engineered yet, but I mean, um, uh, there was something u- unique. And um, the technology is based on uh, quantum dots. So to make really high quality uh, quantum dots, you cannot make that uh, top down. The best quantum dots are made by self-organization, something called Transcasting of Growth. So we don't do that in, in Sparrow, but Peter has collaborators which they have worked with in really many years that have perfected uh, the growth of these quantum dots. So, so that's uh, one of the key inputs. Then you want to get photons out of these quantum dots. And in order to do that, you need to, to build... Um, uh, nanostructures uh, around the quantum dots. So in our case, it's a photonic crystal uh, that ensures that um, the photon that is excited in the quantum dots only have one path to to follow. And um, we can catch that with 98% probability. That is something called the beta factor, which is a really important parameters of, of these devices. And uh, then this uh, photon is then directed through a waveguide uh, to a grading coupler, which can then send it out where you can catch it with free space optics or an optical fiber. But, but there's a lot of other details in the, the device. Uh, so, I mean, quantum is a spec game. And uh, in order to uh, make uh, the best pot- possible single photons, uh, there's a lot of details in how these devices are made, and, and uh, several of them are also patent protected. Yeah, I want to mention to our, to our listeners that there's a great animation slash video on your website that sort of shows how this works. It's really quite interesting. Um, I want to talk about even more detail, sort of the, your design for the quantum emitter chip. Um, it provides deterministic single photon sources instead of probabilistic quantum emitters. Can you tell our listeners about this difference and what the advantages are of your approach? 
Yeah, so um, uh, probabilistic devices there, you don't really know exactly when you will get a photon. Uh, so they send out a photon maybe every 10 seconds or, or something like that. So the frequency is quite low. So um, if you want to make a, a high frequency device, you need uh, many of them in parallel and then you have to store the photon in a memory de device and then release it uh, in a deterministic uh, device like ours the photon uh, has very fast uh, emission time so every time you you trigger the quantum dot it will uh, basically emit a photon so you can run it at gigahertz so you can get billions of photons uh, per second if you want to do the same with probabilistic sources you need millions of uh, probabilistic sources so it's a matter of capacity and quality. Yeah, well, thank you for explaining that. Appreciate it. Let's shift gears, Kurt, for a moment and talk about funding. So in May of this year, Sparrow Quantum raised uh, 4.1 million euros in seed funding led by the venture capital firm 2XN. Uh, there was co-investment from Lyft and the European Innovation Council. They seem to be playing a big role in expanding the quantum ecosystem in Europe. I want to ask, how are you going to apply this funding at Sparrow to deliver on your roadmap and strengthen your foothold in the market of next-gen single photon sources? What they have made at the university is uh, the kind of basic design of uh, the chip. And uh, to run it, you need a, a physics experiment. So what we are doing is we are engineering the chip to get more out of it uh, by engineering the different aspects of the chip, for instance, uh, optimizing the grader in coupler, uh, making an efficient fiber coupling, and, and so on. And the other part is uh, uh, building it into a plug-and-play instrument so that you don't need to set up a physics experiment. I mean, we will move the physics experiment into a box that is uh, rack-mounted uh, so the system is uh, reliable and easy to use. And uh, then uh, we are also now starting to set up a um, kind of a recent and development um, section that is uh, looking at next generation products. I mean, improving the, the, the specs, but also looking into entangled sources, uh, uh, generating cluster states, uh, but also other. What we have is what we call a light matter interface, and it also has applications beyond the single photon source, for instance, like transducers uh, um, with, um, for instance, converting an, a superconducting qubit into a, an optical qubit, which you can then send uh, through a, a fiber and uh, uh, connect with another superconducting uh, uh, unit. Yeah, very exciting. So, segue, that's a great segue. Let's talk about uh, some of the range of partners and collaborators that Sparrow works with. I read there's like a pretty long list obviously all of whom are driving innovation in a range of quantum applications, including computing, communication, sensing, and beyond. Um, I also read you're actively engaged in publicly funded projects as well that further explore applications of your technology. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about some of these projects? Yes, we believe that the near-term uh, biggest application of our source, uh, Sparrow, we have uh, decided to be a component uh, provider. So mm -hmm. we are not developing full systems, but to be a component provider, it's important to partner up with uh, system suppliers that can drive our innovation and make sure that uh, 
we are part of a market. So we see uh, the best near-term application is within the photonic quantum computing. And uh, we are now starting a partnership with Orca Computing, where we, together with them, uh, will build in our uh, source into their system and uh, within 2025 uh, provide a quantum advantage in a photonic uh, simulator system. On the longer term, we also see many other um, applications of the source, and this is what we are exploring in the different um, um, public funded projects that we are involved in, in particular within um, uh, quantum communication. We are involved in a, in a number of projects uh, where um, uh, the single photon source is maybe more expensive than uh, some of the components used today, but it has a number of advantages that we are exploring in, in, in these projects, like uh, it's, it's more secure, we can go to what's called uh, measurement and also even device-independent uh, quantum communication uh, systems. And uh, this is the ultra um, security that you can achieve in, in such kind of systems. Yeah, and other quantum sensing applications that you're exploring as well? Uh, no, uh, not at the moment. Um, I believe that our um, uh, single photon source, um, it's an enabling technology. Mm -hmm. So I envision that it can be just like the laser when it was invented. You could only kind of imagine a few applications, but today lasers are used everywhere. And I believe that the single photon source will be a key component in, in many different uh, quantum technologies, including within sensing, but we haven't really found uh, uh, the, the first application yet. So given the companies are still exploring a range of qubit modalities, right? Superconducting, as you mentioned, I mean, trapped ions, neutral atoms, silicon spin, topological, and of course, photon-based. Why do you think focusing on photonics is the best approach? You've kind of described the fact that there's applicability, but I want to hear your your take on why photonics is an area that's important. First of all, the photons are great particles um, because uh, they don't interact very much. So, I mean, electrons, you need to cool them down to millikelvin and still they interact and they lose coherence. A photon never loses coherence. Actually, there the, often the issue is to get them to interact with each other. So from I think from a basic physics point of view, the photon is the better particle compared with the electron. But then we also have the advantage that there's already a photonics industry uh, built around telecom. So a lot of the tools we need is already there. Uh, and um, the tools for scaling, I mean, the foundries, uh, photonic integrated circuits, uh, billion investments in equipment and development, these investments are already there and we can kind of build on, on top of that. So I believe that the photonics um, is a better platform and also it has higher scalability. Uh, and then it also comes with, it's important that um, the computers, they can communicate with each other and uh, photons are born to communicate, so to say. I mean, it's they are directly... Uh, compatible with the telecom infrastructure we have for, for communication. Yeah, so the idea of enabling distributed quantum computing, right? That's a key sort of vision, if you will. I think, I mean, um, but that's my view that um, no, uh, today nobody is using optical cables for transmitting communication. And I think also in uh, maybe 10 to 20 years, uh, uh, photonics will really be dominating uh, quantum computing and in general quantum technologies. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for that perspective. Uh, I'm going to turn to a topic that's near and dear to my heart, uh, which is workforce. So I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Sparrow in finding talent. Like, how do you go about recruiting for your company? Obviously, Niels Bohr Institute is nearby. You're an alum. Um, but wonder, do you have affiliations with other tech-oriented universities, maybe, or across Europe? I have to mention that I love the post on your careers page, by the way, that says, don't see any open positions? We'd l- still love to hear from you, which I think is is brilliant and terrific. I mean, based on how the company is growing and expanding, what the portfolio will evolve into, you know, getting smart people, talented people to sign up and log themselves into your database, right? So how, how do you recruit? Yeah, and I mean, somehow uh, that you pay attention to this, uh, that um, uh, proves an important point that you need to uh, uh, people with uh, diverse uh, backgrounds, because the one that made that was Maria, that is our marketing uh, manager, and uh, she's not a physicist. I mean, so you need a, diver- a diverse uh, workforce in a company, and um, people with different backgrounds can contribute uh, with uh, uh, different uh, capacities. So um, it's also important to us that we not only um, hire really excellent physicists we also hire very good engineers and there you have um, the advantage that uh, in Denmark uh, we have a very strong photonics industry so um, for instance our um, uh, CTO uh, Klaus uh, he uh, has a background uh, in the photonics industry in Denmark and have worked as a a CTO of a number of startups uh, within photonics uh, um, so he brings something different than university researchers can bring into the company. That said, the major part of our workforce is uh, physicists uh, with a strong background in photonics and and quantum. And uh, there we are um, really lucky that we are close to the Niels Bohr Institute and also to the Danish Technical University. And then I should say that, I mean, I think for me, One of the things I'm most proud of in my previous company was that uh, we were elected as one of the best places to work. And um, we are trying at Sparrow to have a really good work environment. And that also means that uh, our employees actually try to convince their friends to join the company. So uh, a lot of uh, our new employees is actually through networks that they hear about Sparrow and uh, how we work and they know some of the people there and then they, they uh, uh, simply um, put in uh, on solicited um, applications to to get a, a job at Sparrow. Yeah, that's great. Word of mouth. Yeah, friends recommending friends. And again, I just want to reiterate to all our listeners, go to the Sparrow site and look at that open job rec that says don't see any open positions. They'd still love to hear from you. So fascinating uh, company doing really interesting work. I want to end the podcast, Kurt, by asking you to share your vision of, you know, where you think quantum technologies might be in three to five to seven years, you know, wax philosophic, look into your crystal ball. You know, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have more broadly on how we live and work? First of all, and I already said that, I, I believe a lot in, in photonics that that will have a prominent role, but um, in the kind of applications, I uh, for me, um, um, 
artificial intelligence uh, actually has a really prominent role. Uh, it's uh, actually I did my masters in uh, machine learning and artif- uh, artificial intelligence, so I followed the field for many years, and I think uh, the recent progress is really amazing. But to train these uh, methods, it's immense computing power it requires, and um, it's really costly. Uh, I, I think there. The quantum uh, computing can can really um, help. Um, it can make it more accessible, cheaper. And I also be- believe that um, in training these uh, algorithms, maybe the kind of probabilistic nature of uh, quantum computing can make it more efficient. I mean, a little like uh, for the optimization there, we now have the quantum-inspired algorithms that run on classical computers, but Use some of the principles that you have in a in a quantum uh, annealing machine, and, and the potential impact to sort of more broadly on society, right? I mean, impact on drug discovery, drug development, communication, lots of lots of potential positive impact. Would you say? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think uh, within the next five years, uh, three to five years, we will start to see distributed quantum computing, and that will enable um, new applications that we cannot think of, uh, about today um, about the drug discovery and uh, quantum chemistry. Uh, I mean, this is a field I have worked in for the past 30 years, so I also know how powerful the methods are becoming on uh, on classical computers. So, uh, so I think um, it will take some time for the quantum computers to catch up, but um, once they catch up, uh, that will really move uh, the field. Maybe one important thing that is also happening right now is that uh, in the companies, they see, uh, kind of get their eyes up for what can you do with in silico uh, kind of experiments in the pharma industry. So I think already now they're starting to scale up with uh, kind of um, uh, classical algorithms, uh, and yeah, um, you can actually do quite a lot with uh, the methods out, out there already. But uh, clearly, when you have a, a, a powerful uh, quantum um, computers, it will um, push that to one level up. Yeah. Well, Kurt, thanks very much for joining me today, sharing your insight and perspective. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Christopher. It was a pleasure. So I invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Uh, I want to point listeners to your website, sparrowquantum.com. Also want to mention that, especially for our podcast listeners, Sparrow has created an easy way for you to follow up and connect with Kurt. You can share your questions or comments by sending an email to question at sparrowquantum.com. I want to thank you again, Kurt, for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Kurt. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.